Welcome. You are listening to Nard Bites, a Dungeons and Dragons show where we discuss various topics about D&D and all other TTRPGs. Enter at your own risk, but beware, things may get Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, and I'm bringing you another tasty, steaming, hot, microwaved Grognard. In today's episode of the Nard Bites... Wait, did I say I was going to give a steaming Grognard? Yeah, you did. You sure did, bud. You want to take another pass of that, or are we taking it? Fuck it, you'll do it live, Bill O'Reilly. We'll take it. We'll take it. (laughs) Anyway, we got a steaming Nard Bite. You break a nard bite off a of grog nard. He's usually not a fan of having that happen. Um, but anyway, this this nard bite, we're talking about the living, breathing character, not in the sense of like homeostasis, but more so in the idea that like when you're playing a game like this, you have characters who go through sometimes very complex and and complicated endeavors, and there's a lot of implications and a lot of growth that happens to a character. And I guess the good way to frame this whole discussion is to sort of juxtapose it against the single dimensional character who's sort of well-defined to a point there's no sense of like unexpected turns for development. There's no sense of anything unpredictable in their, in their growth. And usually things kind of follow one single note all the way through. So to put things in context, our characters in the campaign you know, just witnessed an incredibly tragic event. What what did we nickname this event again? The uh, the impromptu mass grave or something like that. Yeah, you know, hearing it again, <laughs> not not great. Um, but anyway, the characters all have a certain level of guilt or pain or depression or what have you brought on by it. I know, Ronnie, you had just mentioned earlier that having to be kind of elevated to the status within your order of being like a protector feels like it itself brings a lot of implications to your character and a lot of weight and stuff. So it's like, I guess the point of this episode, what I want to talk about is, is sort of the pros and cons of playing these kinds of deep characters and not in a way to kind of toot our own horn and say, we play deep characters, but like, I mean, we're playing sad characters right now. Like we're feeling it, you know? And right off the bat, I think one of the biggest cons is just the level of like fatigue you can bring onto a player to play a depressing character. You know what I mean? Play a character dealing with pain. You know what I mean? And pain you kind of had to live through. It's one thing when you're like, my character's, you know, an orphan or a victim of circumstances, or they have dealt with all this shit. When you start the game that way, I feel like that fatigue's not really there. But when you actually have to like live through the episode, live through the quest, it can be a bit much. Do you guys have any major thoughts on that? Is it worth it? Is it kind of enjoyable in a weird, sick way, I guess? It's stressful. But I think it's meant to be stressful in a way. It's like it's not stressful in a way where if you're in a combat and you're going to die. <laughs> it's the aftermath of like watching just all that that whole just group of armies just gets swallowed up by the earth like i think anton wanted to deal with that grief and then 
his idea of like at least it might have protected Gory Wake for a little while, might have not, and then be basically told by the head of his order, oh, you're protecting Glory Wake. You're our hope. Here's this great artifact. It's like, oh shit. <laughs> it's not in my head anymore. It's what's expected of me. So you kind of have to think of like, how is Anton going to deal with this grief, but in a way that he also has to think of that responsibility at the same time. Like, I, I wonder if he even really had time to grieve. Well, and I think in later episodes, we also kind of delve a little bit deeper into that and things kind of sort themselves out, but not immediately though. And I think that that's the most important part is, is, you know, when you're talking about that, that stress there, I think fatigue really just feels like the, a good word for it. It's like an ache. It's like just a long day walking home and your feet are numb. You know what I mean? It's carrying that much weight on your shoulders and feeling it with every single step, you know, but what, what do you think, Ryan and Anthony, what do you, what do you think about this? Are you a fan of it or do you feel like it kind of like can be a bit much? Yeah. I mean, to expand on uh, what you were talking about, about like the fatigue and everything, I think oftentimes um, going into an episode, we record at least a week apart on most weeks. So if we end an episode on a big tragic note, like we did the last one, when we start this one up, we've had a whole week and my mood as Ryan is going to be in a completely different spot going into that episode than it was at the end of last week's episode when I was there as Kalika. And I think it sort of, at least for me, takes a certain amount of like willpower to be willing to say, I need to push out whatever I'm feeling. Like, even if I had like a rocking day at work and got like my favorite lunch and hit like 40 bucks on a $5 scratch ticket or something, I uh, like all of that needs to get like those, that kind of emotion needs to get sort of pushed away. And I need to be like, no, I, I need to be like sad and weary. And I need to like remember where my character is and be willing to go back into that kind of space uh so that i can give like the best sense of how clica would actually deal with this stuff and so i i think that it, at least for me it does take a certain amount of willpower to like step into a room and say okay now i'm going to push everything else out and step back to where i was a week ago and sort of how I'm going to move forward with that. Right. Get into character as it were. Right. And what do you think, Anthony? So I, I don't know. Maybe this is going to make me sound awful, but I really like darker elements to storytelling. It was one of the reasons that I love the Star Wars prequels so much because there are so many, you know, dark implications to that story. Aren't you um, also the same person who said that they really liked Ravenloft? I do very much enjoy Ravenloft. Yeah. Not just the module, but the whole campaign setting. Uh, from what I've read about it, yeah, it's pretty good. I like right. it a lot. Because I feel like it's one of those weird polarizing things where it's like either it's too much darkness and you can't handle it, or you're like Anthony and you're like, load on the pain. Yeah, which, uh, like I said, that might make me sound bad, but I like bringing that sort of, you know, you sort of, uh, before we started this, Dan, you sort of brought up that there's a difference between like, edginess and a little bit of darkness and 
I think that when you cross the line into edginess, you've gone too far, but a little bit of darkness just helps spice up a story for me. Well, I almost um, feel like... Know, from a storytelling perspective, at least, from like a role-playing perspective, it's actually kind of difficult. Um, I, for the most part, tend to be kind of a more even-keeled kind of person. Yeah, I'm not prone to extremes. So now I'm trying to get into a character's head who is feeling an extreme emotion uh, from that degree of separation can be kind of difficult um, yeah, to yeah, help bring that aspect of the character um, to its proper fruition in the story. Sure. So I guess, you know, one thing I want to just tag on there, something I just thought of when you mentioned it, mentioning my point earlier about edgelords versus like actual dark themes. I think the the difference between like just darker character themes and edginess is I think edginess is not humanized. And I think edginess is like sort of like hyperbolic human traits where it's like edgelords are just not like human. Like they're just, they're just, they try so hard to exemplify that which humans are not. Whereas dark themes and pain and grief and sorrow are like real human traits. And I just think that the big difference is that like edgelords aren't real people. And I think that that's why like the concept of an edgelord is like a front. It's like projecting so much sense of like, yeah, whatever. Like it's not real. Like nobody actually is that way. Whereas like the grief and pain that comes with witnessing a tragedy is very fucking real or the pain of like having to witness that and then be told like, hey, here's a lantern. You now are like going to do this a lot. You know what I mean? Like these, like this is pain that people can probably relate to. I imagine anybody listening to the show right now has probably at some point in their life dealt with something very heavy and had to kind of like swallow that pill. And it wasn't an edgy moment where you like flicked a cigarette to the ground and said, yeah, whatever. Like, cause nobody reacts that way. That's not real life, you know? And so it's, it's just kind of, I don't know, I guess in a way, I think, I want to try bringing highlights to this. I want to talk about the actual pros of playing these darker concepts because we've been talking a lot about the weight and the pain of it and like how it's like an arduous task. But I think there's almost a sense of catharsis that comes with playing these sort of painful characters because we can have that separation and we can sort of like emulate how we feel at times with it. But we can have the separation of saying it's just a game and we can have our inside jokes and we can bring, you know, levity to it. We can make it kind of like, easy on us and we always know at the end of the day things will probably get better and the storyline will probably will reach the the ending you know well i actually think it's the opposite i think i get a feeling oh. we're just getting the first taste oh no like i think the reason anton wasn't totally like at least in my perspective totally guilt-ridden by this he didn't know these soldiers. He didn't really know these people. They didn't have a relationship with them. Once we get farther and farther in the campaign and we start seeing these painful moments hit more of like characters that we actually develop relationship with, it's going to be worse, but it's going to be good because I think it'll really give like myself, it's like who, when I'm actually playing Anton, like who I actually forming a relationship with within the game and that I maybe didn't think. Like if all of a sudden you see like, um, I think it was, I meet one of the, uh, I can't remember his name. He was, um, he was in Cooperford. He was like the ex uh, yeah, leader guy who ended up joining the order. Yeah, if I if I heard like maybe he was on the battlefield and something happened, it'd be worse. 
Right. And I feel like we're going to expect something like that to definitely happen. Which, no spoilers or anything, but he will come back at a later date. Uh, and, um... I think talking about the whole edginess versus just uh, darker themes and, like, the grit of a character... I think for a character like Klika, who for the most part up until this point has not had too many sullen or worrisome moments, I think the only other time she really showed a not sort of naive or smiling face to a situation was with that um, boy in Cooperford who she like felt like he had betrayed his friends and very sternly uh, gave him a piece of her mind about that. Um, And I think it's these kind of like big events give you a chance to look at your character as a whole and what they've done up until that point and what they want and all that stuff and just sort of step out of it for a moment and look at them and then decide how would they deal with this and if it's not if you decide to take the harder route and instead and and say they're gonna do something they or act in a way they haven't before then you sort of have to steal yourself for that as well and i think that's something i did with clica in this episode where I sort of I, I wanted to know in my mind if I could portray Klika in a way that shows that she does understand just how serious and dangerous everything's been up until this point, and she's sort of been denying it in her own mind to sort of keep up the whole facade of just having fun with her adventuring friends right. and this episode and everything that happened really brought her as close as she had been to death and the fact that her and Norhill got out of that situation at all um, made her look at like how she's going to sort of act and present herself in the future so I think these big moments are a good chance for characters to try something they haven't before or express themselves in a way that they aren't entirely comfortable with. Right. And, and, you know, not before Anthony, before you give us sort of the final point here, one thing I wanted to say also was that, you know, Clicka did have a, a pretty neat moment in game where you guys were in the barracks within the church in glory wake. And you had that moment where you first used the mirror image and you were able to, I mean, um, no, what spell was it? The reflection one where you became multiple selves? A mirror image, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you created the multiple selves and you kind of had like a freak out or something like that where like everybody else was asleep and you stayed up for it. You know what I mean? It's like moments like that where you kind of like embody it and show growth as a character where, you know, you guys got new spells, right? But it's interesting to kind of see spells almost come out organically since, you know, Click is a sorcerer and these things kind of come to her innately. It's interesting to see that you could almost argue storyline that like she'd never used that spell before. And only when she was like hard pressed to a moment of like, you know, self doubt or, or a sense of strange, like inner turmoil, 
she literally separated different selves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, you know, that, you know, obviously we're recording these episodes a little bit different timeline than when we record the other ones, but that sticks out in my head as one of those moments that truly like exemplifies sort of a metaphor. You know what I mean? Like where Blair using a magic spell can kind of tell you more about the character than just an effect. And like, it, it helps, you know what I mean? Show Klika's growth or pain, but in a way that's just so not like, I punched the wall and I let out a grunt of anger. Like she literally became multiple Klikas and was like, you know, what the fuck am I doing? You know what I mean? But all right, Anthony, did you have something you wanted to add onto this? A, a, a gleaming light in the darkness, as it were? Yeah, uh, so you sort of mentioned that these moments are a good way to drive character growth. And that's uh, what I, sort of what I was thinking as well. Like, uh, and earlier Ronnie mentioned, um, you know, the threat of death being sort of stressful for a character. But the thing about the threat of character death as a potential consequence uh, for things is that even that, it, it, first of all, it's intensely, it's, you know, personal to the character. You know, the person who's going to be hurt is themselves. And there's a sort of, you know, glimmer there to a character death because this means to me as a player, like, oh, now I get to think of another character. Um, and I'm addicted to making characters. It's a, pro- it's a real problem. I feel that. Help. Um, but, so, but when what's on the line are the things that a character really cares about that aren't i'm going to die it's oh my friends are going to die my family is going to die you know this whole town is going to break off and fall into the ocean um that's when you really that's when you know a moment of darkness really helps a character you know develop and move forward yeah it's definitely an opportunity for, uh, you know, Brian, you were mentioning earlier that like with such an intense kind of like, you know, lightning bolt of storyline hits the character, like you have a lot of room to make really dynamic and interesting decisions. I know yeah, you can take big swings. We you, know? Can, you know, I'm not going to talk about things that happen later in the show, but, you know, I can think of a moment where Jarzak sort of takes on a very different color scheme all of a sudden when he, you know, makes a certain agreement with a certain individual about a certain other individual, but he definitely utters something that I don't think anybody's prepared for. And it certainly changes how we view Jarzak. And even Jared had that moment of being like, oh shit, did I just say that? And it's like, no, but Jarzak did. So it's it's interesting to press characters and kind of see what organically comes up. Because again, I, you know, I bring up improvisational jazz all the time as a good metaphor for role-playing because you know all the things your character's capable of saying. And sometimes you take those big swings and it can fit in an interesting dynamic way. And sometimes, you know, it's nice to just play the baseline, right? So it's interesting to be able to look at, you know, how characters develop with this kind of stressful occasion. But, okay, I mean, did anybody have anything else they wanted to add? Any last minute shout outs? Netflix, please renew Sabrina for season five. (laughs) I know Netflix has subscribed to the show. uh, So they're definitely listening. Uh, give Ravenloft a shot. It's a great setting, great storyline, and there's a whole bunch of novels about it uh, yeah. randomly out of the blue. Yeah, if, you, if you're looking for something a little different in your fantasy, uh, uh, give, uh, give some darkness a shot. Are you talking about like the Death Knight stuff? With, like, no, the Black I can't Rose remember what the title was, but I read one of them and it was like a whole project that TSR did 
when yeah. they got together like a whole bunch of like you know these pulpy fantasy authors and they're like hey write something for Ravenloft and this person wrote about like the main character is like a 500 year old elven vampire hmm. um and he's the main character going through the story of Ravenloft all right Ronnie did you have a shout out for anything anything neat chocolate ice cream anything you want to talk about <laughs> extremely melted no, chocolate just, ice cream i'll be really I, I find that when it comes with grief i now i wonder like i'm so careful about my stupid lantern like <laughs> <laughs> it's taken by some ninjas i don't know if they got to that part in the episode but no we did not get to that part in the episode but all right well there goes a little spoiler sorry dang it all right this has been ronnie's spoiler corner right. vampire <laughs> of the mists by christy golden Okay, very good. And I think there's the Black Rose, I said, I think another one. But either way, all right, bye-bye. Hey, everybody, it's the Young Grognard here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dangerous. Thanks.